All right, if you can find your seat, we're gonna continue on this morning. Love for you to connect with each other maybe after the service a little bit more. Hey, I see some new faces out there. Uh, my name is Stephanie, I'm the lead pastor here at Mill City and I wanna personally welcome you if you're here for one of the first few times. Uh, hey, people who are a part of the Mill City community, can we welcome anybody who's new? Let's just give them a, a welcome thing. Thanks for coming. It, um, it, takes, it takes courage to come into a new community. And so if you uh, are new, please make sure you connect with one of us that's been up front here. We'd love to connect you with other people in our community. We're so grateful that you joined us today and, uh, and so grateful that those of you are joining us online as well. Um, I want to give one more shout out to the summer seminars. There's a bunch of them. If you go to millcitychurch.com, you'll see all of them. My husband's leading one for the gentleman. I know, my husband. And uh, today, there's going to be one at, what time are we starting at? One o'clock? One o'clock at the Mill City Commons. You can just show up if you want to. And it's about authoritative prayer. I'm going to be there. A bunch of us are going to be there talking about the authority we have in the name of Jesus. Worth it. So join us at that if you want to. The information is online. Come on over. We'll, we'll be glad to have you. Uh, if you know me, then when it comes to this idea of favorite toys growing up, what, those of you who know me, what was my favorite toys growing up? Legos. Yes, it's true. Now, the only thing that's not quite true is that it wasn't only my favorite thing growing up. It still is. Okay, so some people grow out of, of Legos, but people like me and Trevor and Ashish don't. And I just call it Lego therapy. Now, that's my adulting way of looking at Lego therapy. And I will say that it is a very transferable skill when it comes to assembling IKEA furniture. So if anybody needs help, Trevor or Ashish can help you with your IKEA furniture. Give them a call. Uh, it's very transferable. Now, one of my childhood toys that I remember early on is something that looked kind of like this. This is not actually from my childhood. There wasn't a lot of teal back in the 80s in t kids' toys. It was like red, white, and blue, and green. Um, and, but I had a toy just like this when I was a kid. And it was obviously this little like building toy and it had like a little hammer like this. And it was my first kind of building thing. So, I mean, could have been what really got me into Legos and Ikea assembly. And so I remember this toy when I was a kid and I remember that, that I loved it and, and I just loved playing with it and it was one of my favorite things. But now that I'm mostly an adult that still plays with Legos, I have come to think that this toy actually represents like a deep thing in life, like a deep meaning in life. This little toy represents a deep life lesson. Some of you are looking at me skeptically, so just go with me on it, okay? This toy represents a deep life lesson because as you know, uh, you have to find the right shape in order for the, the pegs to work. And it's this toy that teaches a young child something that we grow up to learn, which is the adage, you can't put a square peg in a round hole, right? So here we've got a square peg and we've got a round hole. And to prove the point of the idiom, you cannot put a square peg through a round hole. Now, this is, is cute when it's a toy. But as you grow up, you experience the actual reality of this catchphrase. And, and I know I'm not the only one who's experienced feeling out of place. To feel like you're the square peg and everyone else is a round peg. And you just don't feel like you fit. Not if you've been in an experience like that in your life. Maybe you still have, okay? Where you just don't feel like you totally fit into that space. I remember a few different times in life. Like, for instance, when I was the only new kid at school, there was like two of us at a new school. 
Some of you might have had that experience. I felt like everybody fit here except for me. I'll be honest, there's multiple times when I've walked into a a room and the whole thing is male leaders and I'm the only female leader and I did not know that was going to happen. It's better to be prepared for something like that. And I felt like the, the, the square peg and it just didn't fit. And so as we grow up, maybe you've experienced something like that. Maybe you still feel that way. And as we move past toys like this and the life lessons they offer, as we move, some of us move past Legos and other things, we grow up and we start to learn that sometimes it's better to just try to make it fit, just force it. Like, you know you're, you're, you're a square peg, but you're just going to try to fit yourself into whatever else is going on to make yourself, if possible, to fit with what's happening around you. We, we edit ourselves in order to do things like climb the corporate ladder, or we might try to fit in with, we want to fit in with other parents around us, or we just really want to make our families happy because when they're not happy, things don't go well at Thanksgiving, and so we just want to like squeeze into what people's expectations are for us. Uh, or maybe you know if you are different in any way, or if you experience being a minority in any way, that this is like a survival technique to try to just fit in. But what happens when a square peg is forced into a round hole? Something is lost, right? You have to shave off the corners. You could maybe make it, force it to fit. But the only way that this little toy practically is going to fit is if some of this square is shaved off and and lost to get to the other side. When we are forced to fit into spaces that we don't feel are who we are, we lose something about ourselves. And the tension that I think that we can all feel in our life, if we really think about it, is that as Jesus followers, as people who are trying to live out the the words of Jesus, as people who are trying to live in the way of Jesus, trying to engage the works that we see Jesus do in the story of God, we will never be the right-shaped pegs for the world around us. We will never be the right shape. We will want to fit in, but there's going to be something that does, doesn't totally fit about us if we're trying to live the way of Jesus. It doesn't mean that there's not times we might fit into our communities in different ways, but I'm talking just generally. Generally speaking, the narrative of Jesus, the story that God tells us that we get to join into, this way of Jesus is counter to most of the stories that we experience every day. The, the, the things that we experience in different experiences of our life tell us a different story, I want to suggest, than the story that God invites us into and the story that Jesus lives to show us what it looks like. So the stories the world tells us about who we are and about what we should care about often don't reflect the way of Jesus. And so my question for us today is, what would it look like to become friends with that tension? Maybe friends isn't the best word, but to become comfortable with being uncomfortable. To become, to become comfortable with knowing, hey, you know what? If I'm trying to follow the ways of Jesus, I'm going to have a Jesus-shaped life, and that's not going to look like all the other places people want me to fit into all the time. Living like Jesus means we won't often fit in the way that other people might prefer us to fit. Living like Jesus might mean that there's holy conflict when we would rather just keep the peace. Living like Jesus means that there is going to be times when you feel misunderstood by people in your life and their perception of you. Living like Jesus means we're going to have experiences that are just plain uncomfortable when I don't know about you, but I would say I'd rather stay in my comfort zone. We've been looking at this big story of God, this story that God invites us into, and if you've been with us through 2021, we're looking at this story and how 
I, maybe you've noticed, it's counter to a lot of the stories that are, we're kind of swimming around in these narratives and these storylines that suggest something different to us. And so in the prophetic books, this genre in the Old Testament that we're looking at right now, we, we're, we're looking at this group of people who lived hundreds of years before the time of Jesus, but they had this message for God's people, for the followers of Yahweh, God, that we see in the Old Testament. And if I could sum up the message, so there's 15 different prophets. If I could sum it up, here's one summary you could offer for what the prophets are trying to say. They're trying to say, you people who follow Yahweh, you are God's people. Your life should be shaped by God to represent God well to the world that God loves. Instead, you are being shaped by literally everything else around you and everyone else around you. You are just another round peg in a round hole, and I need you to wake up. This is what the prophets are saying. Wake up and see that this is not who you are. This is not who you were created to be. And I have to warn you, God will get your attention using almost any means necessary because that's how important this is to God's heart. So each of these 15 prophets has a slightly different message, but I think that's a summary. You are God's people, so your life should be shaped by God to represent God to the world that God loves. So as we finish this, this month talking about the prophets, we're going to use the term learning to live. Learning to live how God invites us to live. The prophets invite us in specific and intentional ways to learn to live with intention. Not how we might live if we just got kind of swept up with what's going on around us, which happens to a lot of us, but learning to live with intention. Learning to live distinctly as Jesus followers. And I don't know about you, but I feel that it's becoming increasingly difficult in this complex world to live distinctly as a Jesus follower, as someone whose life you want to be shaped by Jesus. So what I love about the difference that Jesus makes, you know, hundreds of years after the prophets, is that Jesus' incarnation, the word that we use for Jesus coming to become a human, gives us an example of what a God-shaped life looks like. It's not only words, it's now a person's life that we get to understand through this story. I often think of the quote, maybe many of you have heard it, that Marion Wright Edelman, uh, an educator, said, you can't be what you can't see. You can't be what you can't see. And so Jesus' life gives us a picture of the shape that our life can take. And even though we're living 2,000 years after Jesus walked to this earth, we have this opportunity to read about the works, the words, the ways of Jesus and we have the Holy Spirit in our midst to guide us, to lead us, to empower us, to give us authority to step into what God's calling us into. So we become empowered by the Holy Spirit to live like Jesus, even when, maybe if, but maybe when, we feel like we have square peg and a round hole experiences in life as people who are trying to follow Jesus. We're not alone. Jesus is with us. And we have belonging together as we figure out how to do this, together loving our community in the name of Jesus. So today we're going to look at the book Isaiah. It's one of my favorite prophets. Uh, the really long book, actually. So I think we need to take some time to just have a conversation for a few weeks about the book of Isaiah. But today I want to highlight that Isaiah gives an awesome picture of what a Jesus-shaped life looks like. And it's pretty cool that Isaiah does this 700 years before Jesus walked the earth, that we have this picture of a Jesus-shaped life that Jesus then points back to. Jesus himself even quotes Isaiah in one of the most important moments, in one of the most important moments of his ministry. We'll get to that as we look at our text today. Actually, if you read through the Gospels, which we're going to get to that as later in this year, 
you'll see that Jesus quotes the prophets a lot. So whenever you're reading on a Bible, a physical Bible or in a Bible app, you might see a little footnote, and it will show that Jesus is quoting one of the prophets, and Isaiah is one of those prophets that Jesus quotes. And so that means that the message that they have about having lives that are shaped by God's heart is a message that Jesus is applying to his time, just like we're trying to apply that message to the time that we live in today as people trying to follow Jesus in this world. Isaiah is a prophet from the city of Jerusalem. He's often called the Shakespeare of the prophets. The Shakespeare of the prophets. His writing is very eloquent, kind of poetic as you're reading it. His prophecy foreshadows the coming Messiah, we now know Jesus, more than any other prophetic book. Isaiah is speaking to a specific group of people for the most part. And that group of people are the leaders of Israel and Judah. There's some specific words that Isaiah wants to say to the people who have that influence. These leaders of Israel and Judah. The leaders have become corrupt. Their hearts have turned away from God and toward selfishness and toward power. Their hearts have turned toward caring about themselves and their power more than caring about the people that they're leading. And the thing that really gets Isaiah kind of upset is that the people, the king, the kings and the leaders are leading people not only away from caring for the poor, but towards actions that hurt the poor and the marginalized among them. And Isaiah is fired up because that is something that fires up God's heart. The kings of Israel and Judah are not showing God's heart. And so this long book of Isaiah, in some ways, is a book contrasting the difference between these corrupt kings and their leadership and the leadership that we see that God offers, more specifically in Jesus. The kings of Israel and Judah are not showing God's heart. Their leadership is not shaped by Yahweh. Instead, they've taken the shape of the leaders in the surrounding nations and the surrounding people. They are letting the, the corrupt and greedy and selfish injustice, these leaders are shaping them more, they're being, more than they're being shaped by God. They are fitting in. They're the, the shape that everybody else is. And this is what Isaiah is trying to point out. But God's leadership is so different. Isaiah describes it in a lot of different ways, but let me just give you a, a little glimpse of how Isaiah describes God's leadership in, in chapter 25. I'll put it up on the screen here. Isaiah says, Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you and praise your name. For in perfect faithfulness, you have done wonderful things planned long ago. You have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. Now that's the kind of leadership I want to get behind, right? And so early in the book of Isaiah, God makes it clear that God has a solution for the corrupt leadership problem of Israel and Judah. And that is going to be this new king, this new leader, this messianic leader, this king that we now know in hindsight is Jesus. And I'll read from chapter 7 where there's a really, really clear way in which Isaiah is foretelling Jesus coming. So Isaiah 7, 13. Then Isaiah said, Hear now, you house of David. It is not enough to try the patience of humans. Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore, the solution. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Christmas in July. Welcome. So you hear this important name given to this Messiah, this King, Emmanuel. 
and in Christmas time we often sing, means God with us or the with us God. The solution that God has to the corrupt human leader problem is to become a human leader, to come and to be with the people, to show what this could look like, this counter-narrative story of what influence, leadership, and life can look like. Scholars regard pretty much all of chapter 53 as foretelling the description of Jesus as leader and king and Messiah. You could read all of 53. Let me just read a couple verses from Isaiah 53, 5 and 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. We are all like sheep have gone astray. Each one of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There again, we see this really different example of leadership. God as leader through Jesus the Messiah is self-sacrificial. That is not what we were seeing from those kings in Israel and Judah. God as leader is leading the human beings towards peace or shalom, this deep concept, this deep reality where all the wrong things are made right. That's shalom. God, as leader, is going to bring healing to people who need it, which is all of us. The people of God were being shaped by everything else around them rather than God's leadership. So God came in the form of a human leader to offer a different way. And and that's what I keep referring to as the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus. And so through this prophet, we see this truth. To live a God-shaped life, we need Jesus as our leader over all others. To live a God-shaped life, we need Jesus as our leader over all others. Now, I love how Jesus, hundreds of years later, affirms that the prophecies in Isaiah are about him. Turn to Luke 4 if you have a Bible. Luke 4, 16 through 21. This is an important time in Jesus' ministry because it's right at the beginning. He's experienced the temptations in the wilderness, and he's coming out of the wilderness, and he's about to begin, inaugurate his ministry. And it's right at this important time that he goes into the synagogue um, in in Nazareth, where he's from, uh, on the Sabbath. Now, he would have done that every week for his whole entire life. Nothing new is happening here. But today is going to be different. He walks up to the front to volunteer to read from the scriptures. Also, not necessarily something unusual for a, a Jewish man to do. And so he stands up, and let me just read to you in Luke 4 how it goes down. Starting in verse 16, he went to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fasted on him. And he began by saying to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Perhaps you could just imagine this experience. He's unrolling the scroll of Isaiah 61. And he's reading from that. He finds the place. It says he finds the place and he starts to read. So when I read this this part of, of Luke, I think of it as Jesus is coming up. It's the beginning of his ministry and he's saying, this is my mission statement. 
This is what I came for. This is what I am about. And we see throughout his ministry that he lives out the words that he just read. Everywhere he goes, think about the stories you know about Jesus. Everywhere he goes, this passage is fulfilled. The poor are provided for. People who need freedom are set free. People who need healing are healed. Those who are oppressed experience justice. And the Lord's favor is offered to anyone who will accept it. What do we mean by the Lord's favor? Undeserved favor and forgiveness offered through Jesus that we can choose to receive. And everywhere Jesus goes, you see that happen. Jesus is living out what a Jesus-shaped life looks like, as Jesus himself, of course. Let me read the version from Isaiah 61, 1 through 3, because I want to read just a little bit further past what Jesus reads, because it's, it's a beautiful picture of what a Jesus-shaped life looks like. So let's look at Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from dark, and release darkness for, from darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow upon them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They, God's people, will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. I love that picture. I love trees. I don't know if you're a tree person, but this oaks of righteousness growing. Righteousness, justice, same concept. These, these trees growing, declaring the splendor of God and pointing to who God is and God's heart. Just, just love that picture of this idea of being rooted in who God is so much so that the oaks themselves are oaks of justice and oaks of righteousness. Jesus is quoting this prophet, Isaiah, to a group of people in the synagogue who have heard these words from the prophet many times. And so when he says it, it in Luke 4, it describes that he rolls up that scroll, and they're thinking, that was a nice reading. Thanks for doing that, Jesus of Nazareth. That's very nice. And he gives it back to the attendant, but then everyone's looking at him, and he says, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It is completely lost on us how crazy that would have been for him to say that. Actually, how dangerous it would have been for him to say that because he was beginning to declare that he was himself God incarnate. I always refer to this moment as Jesus' mic drop, mic drop moment. I think that's funny. Like he's just like, he rolls up the scroll, maybe scroll. I don't know. He probably didn't drop the scroll, but you know what I'm saying? Like he's just like, all right, boop, this is fulfilled in me. And also he's in his hometown, okay? Think about where you grew up and if you came in, you were about to say something huge about who you are. If I did that at the home church I grew up in, they'd be like, oh, little Steph, I remember when you were this big. What did you say? <laughs> they just like, they would not be, they would be totally in a different place. Not to mention how people are looking at him and later it says like, isn't this Jesus who we saw grow up here? What is he talking about? It's hard for us to understand how the fulfillment of scripture would have been so huge to this Jewish community. This was a big deal. And like I said, I call this Jesus' mission statement because he basically declares in this moment, this is why I came to earth. I love this passage, and I often summarize Luke 4 in these five concepts that I think Jesus names, and I'll put them on the screen for you. This is a good time to write these down. This is what I think Jesus is saying he's about. Provision, good news to the poor. Freedom, 
being set free from what holds us bondage. And we have all been in captive to something at different times. Healing, healing physically sometimes, but also healing from our brokenness and from the way that sin affects us and the world. Justice, wrongs being made right when it comes to especially the oppressed, as it says here in Luke 4. And then undeserved favor, which I just love to think of it as forgiveness that we don't deserve. Everywhere Jesus went, we see provision, freedom, healing, justice, and forgiveness. Now, the prophet Isaiah also mentions something important, and that is this concept of salvation, that this Messiah was going to come as a Savior. And Isaiah mentions this 26 times. Most prophets mention salvation maybe once or not at all. But Isaiah is making a really clear point because he's foreshadowing what this Messiah is all about. The Messiah is coming to rescue. I like to think of it that way. Not just save, you know, like, but to rescue. Like to come and to rescue you from yourself. And to rescue you from this world. Rescuing people from the brokenness in them and in the world around them. Now, Jesus is the Savior that everyone was waiting for, and that's what we now know looking back on Isaiah. But you know what? Jesus was not only the Savior that everyone was waiting for. Jesus was also the leader that everyone truly needed. Jesus was the leader that everyone truly needed. The leadership Jesus offered was first by example, right? Living out his mission. But then Jesus moves from leadership by example to leadership by empowerment, where he says to these followers, now to us, you are going to go and do the same. I empower you by the power of the Holy Spirit to go and do the same. The leadership of Jesus moves from example to empowerment, telling us that the Holy Spirit is going to be with us no matter what. And when you read about the early church in the book of Acts, those first Jesus followers, everywhere they went, what happened? People were provided for. People were set free. People were healed. People experienced justice, and people were offered undeserved forgiveness, not from them, but from Jesus. The Jesus-shaped life. Jesus lived this example, but he did so much more than that, because as I read in Isaiah, right, he takes the brokenness upon himself, not just to say I'm a good role model, but I'm also the only way for you to actually do any of this, because I'm going to take this upon myself, I use the word sin, I use the word brokenness in Isaiah, transgressions, iniquity. I don't know when you've used the word iniquity in a sentence lately. I haven't, but that's what we're talking about. He takes it upon himself so that he conquered its power over us. That the sin, the brokenness, iniquity, whatever you want to call it, the things that we know are holding us back doesn't have the same power anymore because he took it to the cross and conquered death. So we're still going to experience pain, suffering. We're going to experience sin and brokenness. But with a Jesus-shaped life, it doesn't have the same power over us anymore. We have authority in the name of Jesus. Jesus saved us from its power and ultimately saved us so that we could be in relationship with Jesus forever when he returns to bring in the new heavens and the new earth. But here's the key takeaway I want you to take away from today. Jesus offered relationship, but he also invited us into responsibility. Jesus offered relationship, but he also invited us into responsibility. Now, responsibility, not as a way to make it up to him, because that is impossible, trust me. But Jesus' invitation to let him be your savior, but also your Lord. What does the word Lord mean? It means leader. Jesus' invitation is to let him be your savior, but also your Lord, your Lord and savior, your leader in your life. To take on willingly and with joy, the mission statement of Jesus. 
to say, oh, I'm a part of this mission now because I've been saved from the power that this brokenness has over me and I'm gonna step into this responsibility. We are saved from something, but we're also saved for something. We are saved from the brokenness and death, but we are saved for a mission and a purpose and a Jesus-shaped life. Praise God for that invitation. A life that might not be shaped like what we see around us. We might feel at times like a square peg trying to be shoved into a round hole at times and it's uncomfortable. But what Jesus invites us into is so much greater. To be people of provision for those in need rather than selfishness and greed. To be people who live into our freedom rather than the captivity about things that we have or what we think we should have or the things that are holding us back in various ways. We invite other people into that freedom as we live into that freedom. To be people of healing Sometimes letting God heal us for things we didn't even know we needed healing for, but that's what that surrender does. Justice, joining God and making wrong things right, rather than just choosing the choices that we know are going to be best for us and people like us. Instead, we choose what does it mean for everyone. Forgiveness, living as people who accept God's forgiveness in our lives, even though we don't deserve it. And then offering that undeserved forgiveness to people in our lives sometimes, even if they didn't ask for forgiveness. It's tough to do that, but this is the invitation. But I want to stop before we conclude. This is really important that as Jesus ends with this idea of favor, undeserved favor and forgiveness, it's so key that we live a Jesus-shaped life from that place of forgiveness. Because guess what? If we're not living from a place of being forgiven people, it's going to be from a different motivation. And I had two motivations that came up in my mind. The first one that came up is shame that we're motivated by shame because we're not doing enough, we're not doing it right enough, and that motivates us to, to try to live our lives shaped a certain way. Another motivation that came up in my mind was pride or arrogance, that we're the right kind of Jesus followers, we're the right kind of Christians, we're doing all the right things, also known as self-righteousness. These motivations, maybe others, they don't actually lead us to being people who live into a Jesus-shaped life. We have to live from forgiveness, and that means... We have to let go of shame. We have to release and surrender that pride and that self-righteousness. And only then can we live a Jesus-shaped life from that place of being forgiven children of God. To live in these ways of Jesus, to live in this Jesus-shaped life, it's counter to the narratives around us. It might not be a comfortable way to live, definitely not an easy way to live, and it may not be a way to live that people around you always understand. But the Jesus way to live is greater and more meaningful and more purposeful. And it's only if we accept what Jesus has done for us that we can then live as people who are provided for, who are set free, who are healed, who are forgiven. And from that place, we can join God's work in the world. So let's, let's think about this. As, we, as the worship team comes, we're going to think about what it means if we're going to live like Jesus. There's kind of an important question. And that question is, is Jesus the true leader of your life? Is Jesus replacing the other things that are king, right? That's the image Isaiah is using. These kings of Israel and Judah, not good. Jesus as king, shalom, healing, forgiveness. So that's the question for us today. Above all else surrounding us that shapes us in various different ways, that's going to happen. But is Jesus our king above all kings? Is Jesus the deepest influence in our lives? Not in a place of shame, but in a place of responding to that forgiveness. From that place of surrender, 
Jesus as our savior and as our leader, we can learn to live Jesus-shaped lives, receiving his love, receiving his forgiveness, and letting that receiving of love and forgiveness overflow out of our lives onto the people around us. So I'm not sure about you, but I have to constantly reorient my heart and my mind towards Jesus as my leader. And so as we go into this next song, this is what this song is about, about Jesus as the true king. And so I want to challenge you to let this song be a space for you to reorient your life towards the way of Jesus. And we might need to do that again tomorrow, and that's okay. That's not, we don't receive the shame. We receive the empowerment from the Holy Spirit. We're going to have people over here that would love to pray for you as you're thinking about this and how challenging sometimes it is to pull our hearts away from other stuff towards the way of Jesus. But then we can receive empowerment from the Holy Spirit to live Jesus-shaped lives, lives of provision and freedom and healing and justice and forgiveness, to love those around us in the name of Jesus. Let's worship together.